This is Motor Mania. Now shut up and drive. On Dubai I 103.8. Yes, Motor Mania. Tom Urquhart in for Damien Reed. Damo is an Australian and he's in Australia at the moment. Unfortunately, um, we, he can't be with us this weekend, but he will be back very, very soon. So worry not. Um, in his absence, we have a very, very special guest for you today. He is the winner of the 2017 and the 2022 Dakar Rally, as well as the 2019 FIM Cross Country Rallies World Championship. And the latest personality to stand on top of the Burj Khalifa, which by all accounts is pretty scary. It's incredible. I'm not the kind of guy to get scared and freak out, but I feel scared. I am was really the scariest thing I've ever done. When I had to let go when the helicopter was passing and I like started, I was like, one of a select few, none other than the Red Bull rider and, of course, proud Dubai resident. And what an absolute pleasure to welcome Sam Sunderland to the show on Dubai I-103.8 on Motormania on Microsoft Teams. Sam, welcome. Hey, mate. How you doing? Very well indeed, my friend. Now, before we get on to all things Dakar, before we get on to all things achievement, top of the Burj, how was it? Yeah, like um, listening to that little clip you just played now brings me brings me right back up there. You know, um, honestly, uh, I wasn't expecting it to wobble around as much as it was, and um, that was pretty nerve wracking. Uh, and you know, after the the long climb up there, I think it, you know we took the elevator to one sixty, and then um, was an hour and a half of climbing ladders with all my gear and stuff, and. Uh, yeah, the first time I, they opened the hatch and I peered out over the edge, I was like, that is not for me, mate. I'm going back down. <laughs> <laughs> Double S, listen, let's talk all things Dakar if we can, because uh, um, uh, success in 2017, success earlier on this year as well. You've said that this latest one was better than the last. How do you compare and contrast? Yeah, I mean... Every, you know, of course, it feels like that because it's fresh in my mind. I'm sure the moment in there, 17, five years ago already was incredible as well. But, you know, this Dakar, um, after 40 hours, I, I won by three minutes and 30. And uh, back in 2017, I think I had a 30-odd minute lead um, at the end. So it was a little bit more under control. And um, this one, even there, going into the last day, um, even even when I crossed the line, I didn't know that I'd won. I had to wait for Pablo and Matias to come in to check their times. And, um, yeah, the the amount of um, sort of stress and pressure, the, you know, you feel the weight of the whole team and, and, and all their work throughout the year on your shoulders. And uh, it was just a tough race. Like, I had a big crash on day four and, and gave my head a good whack and uh, had some some issues with concussion and had a sore neck and had to like real dig deep there and um, just keep plugging away. And, and because it was so closely fought, it, it just meant that much more to, to get it done, you know? Sam, uh, 2017, obviously with KTM, as we can see now on Microsoft Teams, you're wearing the colours of Gas Gas at the moment as well. Just interested about when it comes to manufacturers and obviously the decisions to, to, to choose different manufacturers, but did, did it affect your your riding styles at all uh, in terms of the teams behind you how do the two operations compare when it comes to the toughest endurance race 
So I, I don't know, um, many of the listeners would know that um, KTM actually own Gas Gas and Husqvarna. So Gas Gas is still kind of under the same umbrella as, as KTM. So I was still working a lot with um, the same managers. I kept my mechanic as I had on, you know, the last 10 years. I've got the same mechanic, really, and we have a really great relationship. And in terms of the bike, um, I was on a similar bike as the KTM uh, and just, a lot of testing throughout the year to try and make that bike the best way it can uh, for me to, to arrive there and get the job done, you know. Talk to me about the mental approach, if you can, when it comes to the Dakar Rally. I mean, it's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, that's for sure. How do, you, how do you mentally process the desire to win against the need to sort of look after and maintain the equipment over the time? Um. It's obviously a huge thing in, in rally because also you add in, you know, you can't ride your bike for 10,000 kilometers through deserts, dunes, rocks, mountains, riverbeds, plateaus without having some sort of drama along the way. It would be, you know, nigh on impossible. And especially when you're pushing like hell every day to try and try and win the race. Um, so the mental side like really comes into play uh when you have that kind of issue like the crash i had on day four uh, you know i hit my head i was confused i had a lot of pain i'd ripped my rear brake and my front brake off i had bent handlebars and i still had to ride 200 kilometers and in those moments is when you kind of realize who you are and what your sort of values are in your heart and how much you really want it because i don't know if you ever had a concussion but it doesn't help (laughs) clarity in your in your head and um definitely a few demons start sneaking in to sort of say to you, hey, you know, it's dangerous, you can't focus, you, you've lost too much time now with the crash, you've got no brakes, you should stop, you should stop, you know, like, you're already tired, it was already a few days, you know, four days of racing eight, 900 kilometers a day, and during those moments is when you really need to, I don't know if you say mental or not, but I, I feel like, I put too much work in throughout the year and the team does um, to give up so easily, you know, like when you put so much work into something, you, you've got so much more driving force to continue to see it through because you don't want to waste all of the sacrifices you made along the way to, to be there, you know? I love it when Sam Sunderland's on the radio because um, my job couldn't be simpler because we get bombarded with questions from fans out there at the moment. Here's one that's just come in uh, for you. Uh, Sam, we've seen your great competitor and maybe mate Toby Price, also a Dakar winner, make the switch to four wheels while still competing on two. Uh, Any chance that we'll see Sam Sunderland do likewise someday and take on the Dakar or the Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge in a buggy or even an SUV? Is that of interest to you? That's from Toby. Yeah, certainly. Um, I I, I do like to have a little dabble in in the cars and um, trying to line a few things up this year and, and, you know, get my feet wet a little bit more than I have done in the past. And uh, certainly sounds a bit safer with a seatbelt and a cage around you. But in the same time, I love that freedom of of racing my bike you know it goes back to when i was a kid on my bmx and just setting off on my own for the first time and uh i don't quite know i'll have the same sensations in a car as i do on the bike but um getting on a little bit now and i've got a, a daughter so um safety definitely uh comes into mind a little bit
Uh, Azar's been in touch with us as well. Um, Azar says, I reckon, Sam, that you are one of the most successful Dubai residents in your field uh, of work. Tell us about that moment that you decided to make the move to Dubai and how it's impacted your career. Yeah, certainly moving to Dubai there, I think it was back in 2009, I moved in with my auntie and uncle and I I, I didn't really have anything. Um, I had, you know, no real savings or, or plan as such. I just loved riding my bike and um, my auntie and uncle gave me a pretty cool chance to come and live with them. And uh, then I was working there in the KTM showroom in Dubai during the week and racing on the weekend. And I remember one of the first times I rode in the dunes in Dubai, it was just mind blowing because back in England, it was uh, quite a lot of controls on where you can ride a bike. If you start your bike up, your next door neighbor's complaining and, you know, all the freedom that we had there in Dubai just to go ride in the dunes. I remember the first day to be like, what, we can just go where we want. And I just couldn't (laughs) get over that, you know, and uh, sort of that feeling stuck with me ever since. Um Growth. Is there potential for growth when it comes to riding here in the region? I'm seeing a lot more friends uh, heading out to the dunes as well. There seems to be a lot more regulation, a lot more sort of infrastructure going into place. Are we going to see uh, Sam Sunderland's of the future coming out of the UAE? I hope so, yeah. There's um, there's a couple of my mates already that have uh, gone into some rally stuff. Aaron Murray and uh, Michael Doherty, um, good, really good South African guys, uh, good riders that live there in Dubai and taking advantage uh of of the you know the mad desert that we have there it, 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 i think you see it across the board you know there's a lot of uh rental places opening up in the desert and everyone that experiences the dunes and that kind of freedom definitely comes back for more and um i think it's a good training place you know a lot of the factory teams are starting to test in dubai especially now that dakar's in saudi arabia there's uh some similarities and well, just re- reflecting on the fact that you mentioned that you've got a couple of South African mates who are d- achieving well at the moment. I, I love the fact that you mentioned that because the South Africans are mad for it, aren't they? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think everybody that, that goes out there and experiences uh, the dunes there in Dubai, is, uh, it blows my mind that people don't do it more often, you know. Like yeah. when I'm out there, I just it's amazing. Two-time Dakar Rally champion, uh, one of the few to scale the heights of the Burj Khalifa. What's next for Sam Sunderland? Um, so I've still got another another year contract to race uh, the World Championship, starting there in Abu Dhabi. Um, not long, actually. We, d- we didn't get much time off for some R&R after this Dakar. We're already uh, back in the swing of things and um, heading off uh, there on the 25th, 26th to Dubai and Quick test with the team before Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge starts there from um, Yas Island and down into Liwa. So looking forward to try and have a clean run. And, you know, I've won, I've won that race two times before. And for sure, it would be nice to get a third one. And uh, I think it's just human nature. You always want more, you know. If you settle down, I think if you're not moving forward, you, you're going backwards. So um certainly try and get another world title this year i started off well with the dakar and try and you know keep the ball rolling into Abu Dhabi and uh, looking forward to getting going uh never in doubt sam always a pleasure to catch up with you my friend thanks so much indeed for your time uh, on a saturday morning no less as well uh, all the best to you personally and of course the team behind you as well and thanks so much indeed for joining us live here on motor mate good to speak to you mate and uh, hopefully we'll catch up again soon 
fix it or flip it. Yeah, uh, how does this one work? Easy. We need your details about your car, your make, your model, your year, your colour, your mileage, whatever you even call it as well. Nicknames, let us know your thoughts. Send them through to via the ARN Play app. Not going to do this one alone because uh, it wouldn't be much good if I did it myself. I'm now joined by uh, none other than the valuation guru, the gears, the, the gears guru, if you like, uh, Matthew Davidson, who is head of pricing at Algo Driven. Good morning to you, Matthew. Hey, Tom. Welcome. Welcome back. Thank you very much indeed. Back in the hot seat, uh, which I'm loving as well. In fact, uh, if, if I can indulge for a moment, I'm loving this show because A, the amount of interaction we get from listeners on a, on a daily basis and B, the number of dealers that have called me in the last two weeks and said, will you drive my car? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's one thing that we all know for sure in the UAE. We love our cars. That is a given. I've got two to choose from. I've got either the, the, the new Volvo electric vehicle, the new Volvo EV, or uh, the new Lotus uh, from Carl, Chris, and the rest of the team at Damas. Which one should I take? Uh, I think you'll stand a better chance of fitting in the Lotus than me. I can never seem to get in those things. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I would, I would take the Lotus out. I mean, um, while the weather's this great and, uh, and uh, yeah, electric, you're going to have plenty of times to drive electric cars in the future. Take that Lotus out. Enjoy yourself. Tis the future. Listen, before we kick things off, uh, Matt, we've got a quick question for you. Are used car prices going down anytime soon they seem to be on the up at the moment well you know you're probably asking the best guy because not only do i know a lot about car prices but i work for the the middle east leading company that price cars algo driven so we've got the data that's for sure um look the reason we have higher new uh, used car prices is because ever since 2019 that was the first year where we had really bad new car sales 2020 with the pandemic we had basically no, no new car sales. And then 21, we suffered from chip shortages and logistic problems. So a new car three years ago is obviously a used car now. And um, lack of inventory is driving this. But what you're seeing at the moment is we've had about 12 months now of a lot of people chasing cars. And, and you'll see it leveling off for now. Um, I think it will come back again in the next 12, 18 months when we, we start to get into that period where the, the what would have been the 2020 new cars and the 21 cars become two and three year old cars and we won't have any in the market. So unfortunately for everybody, um, used car prices are going to stay insanely high. But I don't think there's been a better time to buy a new car because it will depreciate far far lesser than it's ever done um as far as i can remember anyway so you've got some options if you're if you're in the market but um the delta between new cars and used cars particularly one or two year old used cars um i'd I'd shop for new at the moment it's interesting isn't it because you look at it sort of international um precedents if you like and uh let's go to the the u.s if we may and after surging through the pandemic by as much as 50 percent or there thereabouts prices in the used car market in the u.s showing some easing in the last three weeks of january according to car shopping app copilot which um tracks daily prices at dealerships across the country it's been a big story over in the u.s do we do we feed off international trends well this trend is a global trend i mean it's it's not certainly 
the States or the UAE, everywhere's facing the same problem with used cars. Um, as I said, you know, at the end of the last decade, sort of 18, 19 is when we had some of the worst years of new car sales. And then, and then we went into obviously the pandemic. But so it's a global, it's a global trend. Um, and as I said, it's, it's eased off a little bit at the moment, but it's going to come back again in the next 12, 18 months. You can follow what's going on in the bigger markets like Europe and like the US. Um, but uh, we, we in the UAE, we're a growing nation. I mean, we, we continue to add population. And if we don't get enough new cars sold here, we're going to face the problems that everybody's facing. New cars is one thing. I am going to hijack this show now and talk about a personal problem. As a Nissan Patrol uh, owner, fuel prices, Matt, when are they coming down? Well, I mean, you have some good, you have another Matt on the breakfast show, don't you, that talks about oil. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's probably a better place than me. But look, at the end of the day, you've got a patrol, like the big V8, big 5.6 liter. Yeah, it's going to be painful. I mean, even my Nis- um, Nissan, even my Ford Explorer, that it, that's um, a V6, it's costing me about 180, 190 dirhams to fill the tank. So, I don't know what you're paying for a full tank, but I bet it's even more than that. And you're certainly burning through the fuel quicker. I topped for the first time ever. Been here 22 years. For the first time ever, I gave uh, the guy at the pump 300 dirhams of the day. Wow. <laughs> well, there you go. And, um, you know, to answer your question, uh, you know, looking, looking, looking globally at what's going on with oil prices, it doesn't look like they're, they're going to drop significantly anytime soon which will probably dovetail nicely into the latter part of the show when you talk about EV, because EV sales continue to rise. I think they're 9%, 10% of global sales now in, in new cars. So it's going to be interesting, the the, um, the dynamics between high oil prices and, and more EV options coming onto the market. Might get hold of Volvo again and see if that EV option is still open uh, from them. Let's kick things off, if we may, my friend, because we've got loads going on. Uh, and a quick reminder to all of our listeners, if uh, you'd like to sell your car, our friends at carswitch.com have used car deals that you can trust. And if you want to sell your car before the prices drop, carswitch.com is also a platform where you can sell your car for more value. Raheem's been in touch with us already, asking this. So, Matthew, I have a 2012 BMW M5 with full service history um, and six months remaining on the warranty. So, do I keep or sell now? Keep or sell? Well, um, first of all, stunning car. Um, really up there with one of my favorite sedans of all time. In terms of value, um, he didn't mention kilometers, but I'm I'm going to just price it based on, on normal kilometers. The value of that car would probably be around 120, 120,000 dirhams. Um, it would be quite a good time to sell now um, and then, you know, look at potentially getting into a new car, like I said at the top of the show, um, because you, you're going to have a window of about 18 months now where, um, this is the best price you're going to get for your used cars. Um, they may go back up again, as I said. But yeah, 120000 is the value, and I think it would be a good time to move it on. Mark's been in touch. He says, I have a 2016 Audi RS3 hatchback. It's silver, Matt. 95,000 kilometres, pristine condition, brand new tyres, discs replaced. Um, is it worth selling? And two, how much is it worth? Thanks. 
see this this the the Audi S3 and then the RS3 and and people that are really in the know get confused between the two but they're they're completely different cars and the RS3 is really really desirable i mean i never got the chance to own one but in nardo gray i would have loved one um that that with those kilometers i think would sell for about 160 at the moment maybe even 165 but i'd even consider keeping that for now because that is quite a sought after car i rarely see um more than two or three on the market at any one time so yeah that's the value but i actually would maybe keep that for another couple of years Another one that's come through from one of our listeners out there. Keep your text messages coming in, 4001, if you want some free advice from Matthew. Uh, it'd be good to get your thoughts. This one's come through from a listener who's not put their name with it. So I will class it to anonymous, uh, asking this one. 2012, black Mercedes, G55 or G55. Had it since new, Matt. 100,000 kilometres on the clock now. Should I keep it or buy the new G-Class? Well, um, lots to talk about within that message. I mean, first of all, the new one's been out now a couple of years. So, you know, it's, it, it wouldn't be a bad time to consider getting it. And now you, you're owning a 10-year-old car as well. Um, on that subject of owning a car for 10 years from new, this is your best possible selling feature, by the way. Anybody listening that is, that is the first owner, you've got to promote that because it's so important that you can give that history that you can say, look, I know every single thing that's happened with this car, every service, every little scratch, everything. So um, on that point, definitely promote that. In terms of value, 100,000 is actually quite low for a G-Wagon that's 10 years old. And I think you could push up as much as 180, 185,000 for that car in the market right now. But you must promote that one owner and, and certainly the lower kilometers. Aaron's been in touch as well saying, listen, uh, I'm looking for a new car. And it seems that imported cars, especially the Mercedes-Benz, says Aaron, is considerably cheaper compared to GCC versions. Someone told me that all imported cars had major accidents in their original country. And that's the reason they are here. Is that true, Matt? Do you have any recommendations regarding buying non-GCC spec cars? Well, I'll just give you facts. I mean, um, in, at Algo Driven, we have an inspection division called Axel. Uh, so we inspect cars every single day. And nine out of 10 US spec cars we uh, inspect actually have um, serious accidents or have been completely written off. And that's just actual facts. Um, look, no car gets all the way across from America to here and is still cheaper than the GCC cars uh, for no reason. There's a reason behind that. Um, and you've got to be careful about buying ones that are zero kilometer brand new as well, because a lot of the agencies here will charge you to open a file. So to be able to service and, and have a warranty with them. And those files can cost 100, 150,000 dirhams. Um, and certainly with with the sports cars, even double that. So be very, very careful. I always if you want to ma- maintain residual value, always buy a GCC car from from a dealer here in the UAE. Um, you'll, you won't have any worries about the history of the car. And when you come to resell it, it'll be easier to resell and you'll get a better value. Fix it or flip it. Tell us about your car and we'll tell you how much it's worth. How does it work? 
It's really simple. Couldn't be more straightforward. We need your details about your car, that is. Make your model, your year, your colour, your mileage. We have the dream team on the lines for you today. We've got Arnie, we've got Isa, we've got Zena, double Z's in the house as well. However, the man with the plan, the the gears guru, is Matthew Davidson, who joins us live on the line every single Saturday morning for uh, this, of course, Motor Mania show. Uh, and, uh, Matt, we are joined now by Bob, who has a question. Good morning to you, Bob. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Very well indeed, my friend. What's your question for Matt? Uh, good morning, Matt. Uh, I have a, a C200, that's a 2015, and it has driven 145 Ks. So the question is, should I keep or sell? And um, what should be the value of the car? Matt, over to you. Yeah, morning, Bob. Um, normal C200 AMG kit. Um, can AMG you help kit, me a little yeah. bit with that? AMG yeah, kit, um, heads-up display, uh, fully loaded, yeah, whatever comes with the garage, options, full options. Yeah, because you will get a lot more for um, the AMG kit. Look, with, with those yep. kilometers right now, I think the car is probably worth around 85000 for 2015. It is a seven-year-old car now, so I think you're, you, if you haven't had too many issues, it might be a good time to move on because they, they can start to get expensive out of warranty for sure. Um, by now and um, with those kilometers creeping up so yeah look for that kind of value but it's it's good advice to move that car on now does that help Bob fantastic yeah that's fantastic thank you very much I'm very confused because you know it's a good car to drive I love it and the new cars are very expensive so I was just not sure what to do with the car yeah you've got you've got um, you know double-edged sword haven't you because you'll get relatively good value for the car now but then you've got a good go out into the wild and find the next car for you yeah good luck with that one bob thank you very much indeed a big thanks to bob for joining us live on the line the lines are alive with the sound of well free advice at the moment i was gonna say music but it's all about the free advice lynn's joined us this morning good morning lynn you've got a nissan patrol Yes, I do. Good morning. I love the sound of good free advice, and I love your show, by the way. <laughs> yes, I have a Nissan Patrol. It's 19 years old, black, um, has not been involved in an accident. I love this car. We go dune bashing frequently. We love the desert. I love my debt-free life as well. I have a quote for 22,000 dirhams to just do a service. What do I do? Well, that is a great car. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing 2003 yes. model, yes? Yes. Yeah, I mean, these are sought after. I can't imagine that you go through many months without being stopped several times with people asking to buy your car. Um, Because, (laughs) yeah, uh, I mean, so value-wise, they actually, they they hold their value really, really well. I mean, that car Mm. would still, at 19 years old, um, get at least 40, 45,000. And if you sell it for less than that, you're being shortchanged. Um, you may even get more. If somebody wants it, then that's when you can start naming your price to an extent. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to need it's going to need you know major services along the way, and and you know two thousand dirhams outside of of the main agency would be considered a major service. So, yeah, that's not too bad. And and as you say, you own the car outright. You're enjoying it. It's such a classic. Spend the two thousand and, and and keep on rolling. Sorry, not, sorry, not two thousand. Twenty two thousand. Oh, 22,000. <laughs> <laughs> yes, now, now, now we change it. Everything changes. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, well, then, then you're looking at 50% of the value of the car. Um, Indeed. I, I, I would hope that you've got a second and third quote because that sounds like major, major problems. You'd have to have major engine or gearbox issues to even come close to that figure. So the first bit of, of advice I would give you is go and get a second and a third quote to make sure that is exactly what you need to spend on that car. Um, but if that is the case, then it may well be moving it on. And there's lots of people that like these as projects that will still pay relatively good money for the car. Um, but first step is to go and get additional quotes. And, and anybody listening, you know, never rely on just one garage's opinion of your car. The great thing is by getting a couple of quotes, you can see if they all find the same faults or, uh, and if they don't challenge, challenge them, just say, you know, why has he said that the power steering pump is, is failing and, and you didn't? So, um, yeah, you need to do that first. And if that is genuinely what you need to spend on the car, then yes, unfortunately, you will need to move it on. It's not economical. Good on you, Lynn. Bless you. Thank you very much indeed for your question. Much appreciated. Another question that's come through. Uh, this is for uh, valuation. LR4, Matt, 2014, 86,000 kilometres. It's white. How much is it worth? So the LR4, there's two parts that are really important with this car. Now, I don't think you'll have the answer, but they, they actually do a V6 and they do a V8. And the V8, um, despite you know the recent fuel prices, is still a far, far more, more desirable car, the 5-litre V8. In terms of value, you're probably looking around 80,000, 80, And actually, again, another car that it would be quite a good time to look at selling because it's never going to be any more valuable than it is right now. Uh, Rob is waiting patiently on the lines at the moment. Good morning to you, Rob. Hi, good morning. You've got a Suzuki. Uh, no, I don't have it yet. Um, I've actually been popping up all over the road. I must not have been alone in that. Um, so my question is very simple. Uh, trend or fad? Do you think it's something which is lasting, which will keep value? And this is the Suzuki Jimny, is that right? This is the new, the square box, yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh, great question, Rob. And timing is great because last night I was driving home and I saw a Brabus version of the Jimny. And I, I had to take a double take. This thing is so cool. I mean, for people listening, the, um, the Jimny is like a third of a size of the, the G-Wagon, the Mercedes G-Wagon. So what everybody does is they do, do this conversion to make them look like mini G-Wagons. And they're super cool. Uh, look, when they came out, immediately there was a huge waiting list. And, and that continues to be the case. People are still chasing them. So I, I don't think it's um, so much of a fad. I think for the next couple of years, they're going to be sought after. If you can get one, Rob, right now, get it. And I think you can enjoy it for two or three years and move it on. And the whole thing should be pretty pain-free. Sounds good. That's, that's the advice I was hoping for. Good on you, Rob. Bless you. Thanks so much indeed for the question. David's been in touch as well, Matt, this morning. Uh, David says, I've got a 2017 F150 V6, uh, 138k miles. Um, should I keep for another year or should I sell it? Full Ford service history to date. Everyone tells me best time to sell into the second-hand market. Well, we know prices are high at the moment, but um, you know, at best they'll level off. And then, as I say, in, in 12, 18 months, probably creep back up again. Um, super cool truck. Everybody loves the F-150. Um, in, in terms of value right now, if you did sell it with, with, those, uh, with that service history, 
and that kilometers, it's worth around 150, 150. Um, I'm on the fence whether I'd advise selling it right now. I mean, it's it's um, it should be coming right about now to the end of the warranty. But, you know, I think you can squeeze another 12, 18 months of it and then you should hit the next cycle where uh, used car prices are going to be under pressure again. So um, if you're if you're liking it, enjoying it, maybe keep it for another 18 months. Ash has got in touch with us. In fact, Ash is in the market to buy. So, Matt, so I've been in the UK for about, uh, sorry, I came from the UK. I've been in Dubai for almost about six months. And since I've been here, I've been kind of itching to buy a, a muscle car. Um, so the ones I had my eyes on is, is a Mustang, um, a secondhand market, you know, a couple of years old. I just want to get some advice on, you know, what, what are the things that I should be looking out for um, in, in those models. Um, so the ones I'm interested in, the Mustang DT. Um, not sure whether it's a soft top or a hard top, but I would love some advice from you guys. Matt, bring the muscle. Yeah, welcome to the UAE. Um, now, the one thing you can do here uh, is get things out of your system. And a lot of people always dreamed of having these muscle cars in the UK and it was never viable, but now you can. So definitely scratch the itch and get the car. <laughs> um, just make sure you follow this. Um, definitely buy GCC. I would say of the Mustangs, the U.S. imports, 99% of them are damaged. Do not get them. Get a GCC car. The GT, you want the 5-liter V8. Do not, even if you pay a bit more, do not get the V6. You're, you're getting this for, a, for an experience. You want that V8 power and sound. The 5-liter V8 GT. Uh, I wouldn't go for the convertible because the few months that you can use it here, um, you know, it, you're far better going for the for the coupe. It's a better looking car. Um, it's less noisy. You'll enjoy it far more. Um, uh, if you follow those rules, you'll be fine. Um, you might be restricted in what you can get. The last one is it might be tempting to get a manual, especially if you're you, you've got experience driving manuals from the UK. But when you come to sell it, sell it, eight out of ten people can't drive manuals here, so that restricts your your buyers when you come to sell it. So uh, GT, uh, the 5-litre V8, GCC car, uh, automatic, let's go. Hope that helps, Ash. Thank you very much indeed for your call. Uh, just a quick one, uh, addendum to that one. Um, can't or won't drive manual, Matt? Who? Uh, in general here? Nine out of ten drivers. You just mentioned there about uh, no, the, the well, selling them. Eight, eight out of ten. Oh, sorry. Um, they, they they either don't have the ability or they don't have the license. Remember yeah. when when you when you take your license here, um, if if you're from um, the countries that qualify to automatically have it swapped over, you're very lucky. But for other people, um, they take the easy option of, of learning to drive in automatic. And also, a lot of people don't want to drive manuals here, uh, particularly when you're stuck in traffic. It's not nice. Um, unless you want a really large calf muscle on your left leg. So, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, you, you, as I said, people get tempted to buy them. I know a lot of people come and buy the Focus ST here, which is only available in, in manual. And then they, they say how difficult it was to actually move it on. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's not ideal. And globally, by the way, that trend is, 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 is catching up. I mean, even in the UK now, there's very few manufacturers that are churning out manual cars anymore there. They're all automatic. Matthew Davidson is with us. Fix it or flip it. Uh, 
it's really straightforward. Tell us about your car and we'll tell you how much it's worth. Uh, how does it work? Easy. We need your details. We need uh, the details of your car, that is. Your make, your model, your your your, your year, your colour, your mileage, whatever the nickname is for your car, etc. We need all the details, please. We've got double Z and all the A's out there this morning. Uh, Arnie, Isa, double Z. Um, I'm joined by valuation guru, the gears guru, Matthew Davidson, uh, and loads of questions coming through. In fact, let's go to the line straight away because Madassa has been waiting patiently. So I drive a Volkswagen GTI 2015 model, which is a black color, and I'm almost done with 128,000 kilometers. And I've done the service so far from Aldamuda. I just wanted to know if I should be selling the car, and if I'm selling the car, what price should I quote? Matt, over to you. Hi, Modassa. Sorry, I didn't hear the year. Did you say 15? 2015. Yes, 2015. And the kilometers? 128,000. Okay, um, good time to move it on. Again, another car, seven years old, 120,000 kilometers. These sell fast in the UAE, the GTI. I mean, they're a great all-round car. Um, In terms of value, I think you're looking at early 50s, something like 52, 53,000. Um, okay. I think you'll sell it. I think you'll move it quite quickly. Um, be careful. You might get low board on this car, but they're, they're, you know, all day long, you should be putting 50,000 in your hand um, and also a good time to move it on. I bet you've had a lot of fun with this car. Yes, definitely. I don't want to sell it, but, you know, since the kilometers is almost 130, I, I, I'm planning to sell it off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a lovely car to drive. Good on him. Good on you, Madassa. Much appreciate your call. Thank you very much indeed for that one. Uh, here's another one that's come through. We're going to be going to Vivek in just a few moments' time. But uh, one that's come through in the text, uh, Matt, saying Volkswagen Golf GTI. Love them. First option, year 2015, mileage 128,000. Uh, service done from Volkswagen till until now. Uh, what price should I sell it for? I think, Tom, this was just our caller. That's exactly the same car. Oh, that's the same so, one, is it? Uh, yeah, yeah. He's he's getting double love today. Actually, if, if he'd <laughs> um, given us the nickname for his car, he would have had a home run. <laughs> the home run for all and above. Well done to all. OK, let's go to the lines. Vivek is waiting for us at the moment. OK, I drive a Toyota Corolla 2011 that has clocked almost 454,000 kilometres. And you're looking for a valuation? Uh, yeah, it's it's white, and um, I mean it's it's not giving me um, that much of a trouble. But I mean, should I be you know selling it or or you know should I keep it? Uh, I mean, I'm just I'm just a bit worried. Matt, over to you. Sounds like he drove to Beijing and back. Um, <laughs> so, uh, look, um, this is this is one of those ones that actually is quite easy to answer because value-wise, I don't think um, you know a trader would even buy it for less than than five k. An end user would not pay much more than seven or eight thousand dirhams for it. So that that means that if that car is still running, it's time to keep going until you get to the point where a bill is is expensive uh, and then you you move to um just uh, sunsetting this car i think you know it's always going to be going to be worth around 3k as a scrap so that gives you some idea of numbers um but you look, look i i just keep driving this car unless you really want to sell it then then you've got the numbers for that but yeah it seems like um 
keep going until it until it's the end. Because when I actually, you know, stepped into the uh, to the second hand market in in, in uh, Sharjah, I've I mean, uh, three or four, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, people approached me, and then they said that if you would want to sell it, uh, we can, you know, we can buy it up, uh, for about twelve to about thirteen thousand. Yeah, I can't tell you the reasons they would do that, and you're very welcome to to take that value from them. There's a reason they want to do it. I just can't tell you why. Uh, not on air, anyway. Um, but, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you. I think you can read between the lines, can't you? Uh, look, can. If they're yeah. offering you that, and and um, you can you can blank your mind to what goes on next, then maybe that's an option. Good on you, right. Vivek. Thank Hope you that so helps. Uh, thanks so much indeed to Vivek for being in touch. We've got Khaled waiting patiently. Well, I'm in the market currently for a Dodge Challenger, preferably a Scat Pack 6.4 engine, pretty much. Um, some of them are very pricey over here in the UAE, especially next to the market in the US. So I was wondering, what kind of price range should I expect? Matt, over to you. Hi, morning. Um, morning. Biggest problem is finding one more more than more than <laughs> anything else. Um, especially yeah, I mean, look, I saw, I think about a week ago, I was looking at a 2016 um, SRT8 Challenger with a scat pack. Mm-hmm. It had about 120,000 kilometers and it was for sale for 105. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that gives you an idea of, of what um, a 2016 one. There, there are, I have seen other um, American spec ones on the market, even much newer mm-hmm. for sort of mm-hmm. 170s, 180s. But I definitely do not recommend getting the US spec one unless you Whoa. find one in the US spec with a clean title and you actually bring it over here, which isn't. A bad option in your case because um, you you could organize all of that. Um, yeah. That might be an option, but yeah, I think I'd, I'd probably look around that year, 2016, and I'd want to pay around that one 110, 120 thousand dirhams because that well, you're not exposed. You're not exposed too much, and, it, and again, it sounds like you want to scratch this this itch. It's, it's a phenomenal car, incredibly powerful, and s- such a great drive. So um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd stick to the to the, 2016 and, and spend around 110 yeah well i found a 2020 model yesterday it's uh, brought from oh. america of course and it has uh 1000 miles on it with a clean title in the uae okay do do one simple thing get the chassis number and just put checked. the chassis no, put the chassis no number into google, google. Okay, because yep. everything in the in the US when there's um, when there's damage to a car and it gets uh, salvaged, you will find that information for free on Google. Just take the chassis number and Google it. If it's going to come up with a- any issues, um, you will find it very quickly like that. So um, yep. if it if it's got a clean title and you, and you want to move forward with this car, next steps get an independent car inspection on that car. Just get anybody to do uh, an inspection on that car, and if and if it comes through that clean, yes, then then possibly then look at it as an option. Lovely, lovely. Thank you so much. Good on you, Khaled. Bless you. Thanks so much indeed for that one. Uh, let's go to the lines. Uh, line number three. We've got Robbie joining us. What's your question for Matt? Uh, so the question basically is, uh, I'm about to step into a car valuer. Uh, I have an Audi uh, A5 S line 1.8. And I don't know what to expect. How much they, would they value my car? Because if they, if they value something that I like, I might just tell them, yes, go for it, and they'll give me cash straight away. So 
I'm not sure what to expect, and I wanted to just uh, get your thoughts on that. Uh, on the A5, it, it has 112,000 kilometers in it. Uh, I bought it secondhand, but it had like 19K uh, mileage, um, and now it's at 112. Good on you. Okay, Matt, over to you. Uh, morning. What year is it? That's the only bit of information that uh, we didn't get. Sorry. Uh, 2014. I bought it in uh, 2015. Right. Um, when you go in, uh, and see anybody that buys cars for cash, there's there's several people in the chain. Um, first of all, the company that buys the car, they don't work for free. Uh, although they'll tell you they won't take any money or a commission, they're actually loading it onto uh, the price with the dealer. So, uh, And then they basically contact a network of dealers that buy cars. So that dealer then has to make money. So you've got two people feeding off the value of your car. So understand that, first of all. Those cash buying companies will take on average around 3,000 dirhams and no dealer will buy a car unless it's got at least 10,000 across it. So um, the easiest way to, to work all this out is if you take your car, which probably has a retail and end user value of around 55,000, okay, mm -hmm. uh, in the market right now, because there's a lot of uh, desire for it, maybe worst case 50,000 they're going to probably offer you 32 to 35,000. Okay, okay, fine. Does that help, Robbie? Yeah, I'm, 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 get, I'm thinking I want to list it in, on, like, on, on the platforms for like 60, but I'm not sure if I'll get that number. Well, I mean, uh, why, why don't you do this? I mean, unless you really need the cash tomorrow, put it with somebody like CarSwitch, who will actually... Uh, list the car for you, take the photos, do everything, and they'll look to get you the retail price. If it hasn't worked out after maybe three or four weeks, then you can always go. The cash, the cash it guys are not going to change their price much in the next um, okay. uh, 30 okay. days. Good okay. on you, Robbie. Okay. Helps. Thanks very much indeed for your question. That was from Robbie. Uh, the calls, they keep on coming. Let's go to line number three. Uh, Harshna joins us now. What's your question, Harshna? All right. I've got a, a Ford F-150 FX4 2014. Uh, I'm the only owner of the car. I bought it new. And I have driven 360,000 kilometers already. And it's seven years old almost. Um, I Recently, I was thinking, like, I don't want to sell the car. So I was thinking maybe I should modify it, like change the taillights, the headlights and some uh, body works and paint it and just modify it a little bit. Uh, I don't know whether it's really worth for me to spend around 20 to 25,000 dirhams on it uh, at the current state. I mean, because of the vehicle age and the, and, and the mileage. So I don't know what uh, Matthew's uh, suggestion is. Mr. Davison, over to you. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, and you're not the only one that has these thoughts. I mean, look, with those kilometers, that's the only um, fly in the ointment, you know, that's uh, really uh, a great car. And you've owned it since new. But you do know the car since new and what you've spent on it in terms of maintaining it. I think the value, unfortunately, isn't going to be much more than about 35 to 40K with um, those kilometers. But uh, you know, if you think this car is running really well and you've maintained it, uh, it might be uh, a good option to put some money into it with the current market being difficult to actually go out and find um, cars after you sell yours. 
it, it might be worth investing, keeping it and investing a bit of money. I would say if you could cap your spend more towards 20K um, and you can get another 18 months out of it, that, that isn't a bad option. Good on you, Harshnut. Thank you very much indeed for your call. And a big thanks to all of our listeners. A for the calls and B for the questions. We will hit up more questions. Plus, we will be putting uh, Mr. Matthew Davison on the spot in just a few moments' time as well with our quickfire valuation. That's all coming your way shortly. Fix it or flip it. A couple more callers for you. Then we're going to play speed quote with none other than the valuation guru that is Mr. Matthew Davidson, who joins us for the first hour of the show. Uh, last time, Matthew did seven. Uh, his record is eight. We will get to that one shortly. Not, though, before we get a bit more free advice. Uh, let's get um, uh, our, our next question. This come through from... Anestis, who's been in touch, says, Good morning, Matthew. I've got a VW Touareg 2008, 182,000 kilometres on the clock. It's an automatic. It's grey. I've replaced the tyres, etc., 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 says Anestis. Evaluation, please. Oh, 14-year-old Touareg is... It's going to start to be expensive now to maintain. I mean, value-wise, 18 to 20K. Um, but, you know, you've got to be careful. You know, people looking to buy these type of cars that, especially the V8s, they, they can really start to become expensive. Another one that's come through from uh, Ark this morning. Uh, AAQ has been in charge saying, Hey, Matt, I've got Mitsubishi Pajero. It's an SWB 2010. It's red. Uh, driven 240,000 kilometers in it. Should I sell it or keep it? Oh, we talk about Pajeros every single show, and this short wheelbase one is going to be no exception. Um, still desirable with those kilometers. You know, somebody's going to pay you 25 to 27K for that car, um, even 12 years old with those kilometers, because you know everybody wants them and they don't make them anymore they've stopped making the pajero so it's only ever only ever going to get better over the next couple of years for them uh, and he's got a maserati it's a three two hundred a three two zero zero gt v8 it's black color 2001 edition it's got fifty-seven thousand kilometers on the clock can uh, you give me a benchmark of a selling price potentially yeah, I mean, you're gonna, the, the biggest problem is, is finding people that, that are looking for that car. That's going to be the main thing. Um, I, I think in terms of value, I would probably put it somewhere between 45 and 50 just to see what happens, just to, just to get out there and get some response from, from the market. But um, it, it's, again, another one, one of those cars where you're going to need somebody that's looking for them. And then kind of the ball's back in your court because they're after what you're selling um, and they're not going to have a lot of choice on the market. But just to test it, I'd probably put it out forty-five fifty. Phil's been in touch as well saying, hey, guys, morning all. Loving the show and loving the free expert advice as well. Good on you, Phil, for saying it as it is. Uh, can you please give me a rough idea on pricing for the following? Kia Sportage, white, 2013, 155K, OK condition. Very honest. Yeah, very, very, very honest. But the, these cars actually, uh, uh, especially when they're older, are very sought after. I mean, the, the Sportage has always done well in the UAE. 
Um, look, in terms of value with uh, those kilometers, I would say late 20s, something like 28, 29K. Um, but actually, that will sell um, quite well because it's at that price point where people can lay their hands on that type of cash. Uh, we have got uh, Boris joining us on the line. Uh, thanks for your time, first of all. And uh, yeah, I've got a 2014 agency purchased Cadillac XTS4, which means the four wheel drive, and it's got the V spec platinum on it. So basically, it's the full option, anything that you can get. Uh, silver color, beautiful motor, um, agency maintained ever since. And I just want to know. Uh, it's got 83,204 kilometers. Should I keep on driving it since it's out of warranty or just flip it? Yeah, there's not a lot of those cars around. Um, its value is probably around 60,000, um, maybe a little beneath that. But um, if it's running well, I mean, there's not a lot of cars out there for that money that will give you 400 plus uh, horsepower. Yeah, uh, I imagine you're enjoying driving that car. Um, Absolutely. Sure. I mean, it does, yes. it does zero to hundreds in the low five seconds with the twin turbo there. So I'm quite happy with it. I mean, that's what be, she's been very good to me. Yeah. I so, mean, I, I would ask the question back on you. I mean, what what are you going to get that's going to give you significantly more um, joy uh, for that kind of money? Uh, well, I mean, I was, to be quite honest with you, I was looking at the Audi's A8, so could use the Cadillac as a down payment for one of those. But uh, I mean, it's I, I reckon that the main it's going to be a newer car with warranty again, and this and that and the other. But then it's uh, German cars generally don't do very well on the UAE heat. That's my experience from past, at least. So I'm just you're 100 percent right. Yeah. Yeah, so hence, I think the American ones are doing a little bit better, but I just needed that little bit of a push from you guys <laughs> to keep it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, it's not a bad option right now. It sounds like you're having fun with it. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for that. Appreciate it. Not at all, Boris. I think, Bless uh, you. The call, the call achieved a purpose. Thank you. <laughs> Good on you, Boris, and enjoy your ride. Okay, it's time now for a little bit of speed quote. It is the time. Uh, the time has come. Uh, last time, Matthew did seven uh, under my watch, but his record uh, currently is eight at the moment. So, Matt, you're ready to take on the challenge? Yeah, we love this. Let's do it. Okay. Zena Zalamay, ready with the 60-second clock. We got the thumbs up from the production suite. So the time is now. Let's start this one. Your time starts now. And, uh, Matt, it is time for you to get involved. Here is your 60-second counter, and we start with... Pajero SWB 2010 Red, 240,000 kilometres. Uh, 25 to 26k, yeah. Uh, Mazda CX9 2070, 80,000 kilometres, under warranty, service contract, FSH, no issues. Yeah, full service history, uh, 75k. Jeep Commander 2007, black, 5.7 uh, litre, 256 kilometres. Uh, old car now, not much, 16 to 18k. Uh, Ghibli Standard Maserati 2015, maroon colour. 36,000 kilometres. Ah, uh, the Ghibli 16, about 120,000 dirhams. A Lexus LX 570S 2015, 390k. Too many kilometres be probably 125k. 
2016 Honda Odyssey Touring. Uh, white, 160,000 kilometres. Or about 70k for that car right now. 70k. I'll give you that one as well. We've equal, equaled our... Oh, okay. Zena's calling it as six on this occasion. So uh, I don't think that's anything to do with Matt. I think that's more to do with the fact that I'm just a very slow reader. Uh, Good on you, Matt. Really appreciate it. Can't thank you enough for your time. You give up your Saturday mornings for us, not just for us, but for all those that uh, tune in. Quick apology to all of those uh, that uh, weren't able to get online and all those that we haven't been able to answer their questions. But, Matt, if people want to get in touch with you, what do they do? Uh, they can get more information on pricing cars by just going to algodriven.xyz. We have a, uh, on the homepage, you can type your details in and get an, in, an instant uh, price from our, our data. So that's fun to do. Good on you, my friend. Thank you very much indeed. This is Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. Uh, it's time now for the Car News Roundup with none other Imtishan Gyada, motoring journalist and partner at Motoring Middle East. Good morning to you, Imtishan. Good morning. And How's a big warm welcome also to motoring journalist par excellence, Mr. Noel Ebden. Good morning, Noel. Good morning. How's it going? Join the chat. Get in touch on 4001 via the ARM Play app. Or, of course, you can give us a call, as I mentioned, on 8715500. Okay, first up, Formula One wants all drivers, staff, hospitality guests and media to be vaccinated to avoid what happened at the Australian Open with Novak Djokovic. Do I need to explain more? No, I don't think I do. Damien Reid was speaking uh, on the agenda earlier this week. So look at that. He, he, he's got enough time to get up and speak to the agenda to George Atolli and the rest of the team, but he can't get on to his own show, can he? He told George Atolli he wasn't surprised by the decision. If you remember back to March 2020, the Australian Grand Prix, that was when the world really woke up to COVID because the Australian Grand Prix was cancelled at the 11th hour. And uh, and so the world focused on Formula One. So they took steps immediately to try and work out how to get around this situation. So they've been doing PCR tests for every single person involved in the sport, whether it be media, hospitality, drivers, team managers, whatever, up to four times every weekend to make sure that the, that the, the grid is as healthy as possible. So I wasn't really surprised surprised to hear that they have gone this extra step over and above mandates that have been brought in by nations and countries in their own right to to ensure that the grid stays healthy. Uh, so let's throw it open. In fact, let's get one more thought from Damon before we throw it open to uh, our specialist and to you as well, because Damon also gave us an idea of how F1 has kept things going during the pandemic. In 2020 and 2021, it was a bit of a moving target. Some circuits uh, couldn't couldn't host the round of the championship. For instance, Australia hasn't hosted it now for two years. They're hoping to get back in and do it again in April. So as a result, other countries stepped in. And I have to say the Middle East has been absolutely at the leading forefront of all of that with, with Bahrain, with Qatar, Saudi Arabia, stepping in, taking up the slack from some of those uh, races, but also drivers themselves. You know, we've got Nico Hülkenberg, who's a retired Formula One driver, who is what they call one of the Friday drivers. He's on call. And he was called in at a second's notice, literally uh, within 10 minutes before a session started in Austria to take over from, from Kimi Raikkonen, who tested positive. So as drivers have fallen positive, and there's been a, a few of them that have, they've had backup drivers that have ensured that there's been a full grid of cars at every race. So they've done an amazing job to keep the circus on the road. So Demo reckons that, all the drivers on the grid are currently vaccinated and therefore can compete. But 
there are a couple of staff out there and other people involved in the industry who may not like the new rule. One notable exemption was a guy called Alan Vandermeer, who is a South African race driver. Now, he is the medical car driver, ironically. So he drives the medical car for the doctor. He's not a doctor. He's a retired race driver and has held that role since 2009. He's the he's the car you see on the grid behind the F1 cars with the, with the orange flashing lights that, that gets to a scene on the spot. Now, he was denied entry into uh, into Qatar and then into Saudi Arabia and then finally in Abu Dhabi, the last three rounds of last year's championship because he's a, 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 an acknowledged anti-vaxxer. Um, at the moment, it looks like that, yeah, he won't be starting up there. Obviously, you know, it, there's a very easy to replace that position. There's a lot of ex-drivers who would love to have that position. He's probably the most notable one that probably won't be coming back this season. Let's remember that Alan van der Meer is one of the team that saved Roman Grosjean's life when he crashed in Bahrain in 2020. So with that in mind, MT to you, and apologies for the wait, uh, what do you think? Alan van der Meer, sack him or save him? Oh, sack him. Great career, legend, of course, but at the end of the day, rules are there for a reason. We need to protect everybody else on the circuit, and you can't just can't play favourites. The Djokovic fiasco shows exactly how bad this can get if you have any kind of like leeway for interpretation. No, sack him or save him? Uh, save him. I always go opposite to MT every time. So, <laughs> it's, uh, I, look, I, my view is it's down to personal choice. Um, if he misses out and someone else gets his job, then that's um, that's his uh, that's his loss. Um, and also, I think that we can't necessarily, you know, not all circuits uh, have or not all countries have the same rules. So, having to apply all these rules globally in in order to save one, one or two races, I, I don't agree with. Um, you know, I, I, I have nothing against people getting vac- vaccinated. That's great. I'm fully vaccinated. But um, I think it should be up to the person. Right, let's move our attention to some of the brands out there at the moment. And let's move to Aston Martin, who have announced this week plans to phase out combustion engine only models by 2026 and focus on electric and hybrid cars. Their chairman, Lawrence Stroll, you might see him on Netflix, uh, said that after 2026, there will still be the option of a combustion engine vehicle, but only as a hybrid. Its competitors have already announced their clean energy plans. Lamborghini developing its first fully electric model for the end of the decade. Every Bentley will be at least a plug-in hybrid by 2026 and fully electric from 2030, we're told. So, no. what do we think about this one? Uh, owners of these cars love the noise. Is that going to be a big thing or can they live without it? Uh, hybrid, I think, is great. Um, I'm actually a, a firm believer that hybrid is actually the way forward. If you look at the emissions from your average hybrid these days, I mean, they are so low that I think it solves a lot of the uh, um, environmental issues that um, uh, that that do also plague the electric car industry because you know depending on which report you read they're either amazingly green or not not quite so green so for me hybrid's always been the way forward it keeps the uh, petrol heads happy it keeps the um, green agenda moving forward um, and every manufacturer is going this way so it's not a surprise really that uh, Aston are moving in this direction any surprise for UMT not really. The only thing I would say is that there's just no point persisting with engines because people in this space, whether they be Mercedes or Bentley buyers, they're looking for that electric rush of performance and just that green aura of being you know, kinder to the environment. So I don't see anybody can get away with making combustion engines in this space. Now, 
obviously the price point allows it. We're talking about cheaper cars. It's much harder to make a more affordable electric car. But Aston, long overdue. I'll agree with Noel that hybrid is a solution, but it's not going to last long because most people just want to go full electric. It's full steam ahead. Talking of all things electric, I'm putting you on the spot, fellas, if I may, for a moment. I mean, we do this quite often on the Business Breakfast, and I'm seeing it here as well. You know, we talk about 2026 and 2030. There's always years in advance, etc. If I go out today to buy an electric vehicle, what's the best electric vehicle in the market at the moment, Inti? I would say, without question, any of the Teslas, specifically the Tesla Model 3, just because the infrastructure is everywhere to charge your car. Uh, no, concur? Uh, no, I'd go Audi or Porsche. Um, I'm really not um, not a fanboy of Tesla at all. Um, I would definitely go pro- probably um, probably go down the Porsche route uh, for the badge. Um, the new Audi is fantastic. I mean, there's stuff coming out now. Polestar, uh, or the offshoot of Volvo, is um, looking to. There's some amazing cars coming out of there as well. So, I mean, there's just so much choice about to hit the market. Um, that would be my personal view, would be go that way. Right, let's turn our attentions to SUV. Uh, Aston Martin uh, has announced the world's most powerful SUV. The Aston Martin DBX 707, performance version of the standard DBX. The 707 comes with both cosmetic and mechanical changes, we're told, making it the world's most powerful production SUV yet. That's very timely, Noel. Yeah, it's uh, it fits in nicely, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> Six hundred ninety-seven horsepower for a uh, for an SUV, three hundred nine kilometers per hour flat out, um, three point three seconds to a hundred. I mean, you know, the days of supercars is kind of I mean, it's all got so confusing now because everything from an SUV to a supercar can all do about the same sort of speeds, which is getting a bit crazy. I mean. <laughs> I mean, it's it does, who needs a, an SUV that goes that fast? But but it'll sell. It'll. I mean, the Urus has been a you know a huge success despite the people. You know, do we need a car that goes that fast that's an SUV? So um, yeah, it'll sell. It'll sell like crazy because of the badge. Um, everybody wants, uh, especially in uh, uh, places like the UAE where people want you know the best. Um, it will sell, and uh, they'll do very well out of it. Empty will it sell? It will sell. It probably shouldn't sell because it's not the prettiest Aston I've ever, ever seen. And the wheels are a travesty. So, yeah, it's, it's an odd car for me because the 707 output also compares it, of all things, to the Dodge Challenger Hellcat, which also has 707 horsepower. It will sell because people want power performance and they'll pay anything to get it. Uh, right. Let's get on to some of those uh, questions uh, or some of the talking points, I should say. MG is now the Middle East's sixth biggest car manufacturer amazing for such a young chinese brand any surprise imtishan not really i think mg has been doing absolutely everything right they've got their marketing right they know who their target audience is their cars are not exciting but they're not meant to be exciting and they've got them into rental fleets obviously the crucible if you think about it of most cars because if a car can survive five years as a rental being abused every day then it's gonna be pretty good for the average family going down to spinnies or Lulu or what have you. So, yeah, not a surprise. Uh, what is a surprise is that it's the one brand that survived. All, there's so many Chinese brands that came in here about seven, eight years ago. And MG was the only one that sussed out you need to provide a good product at a good price. And you need to make sure that it lasts. 
And they're the only ones that have really crept up there, especially in the Saudi market. They are absolutely massive. Uh, Noel, your thoughts on MG, obviously a brand that uh, has a rich history as well. Are you surprised by the sort of conversion of the old brand to the new brand? Um, yes and no. I mean, they don't. They, they balance quite nicely the, um, the the history with the new cars. They don't hark too much onto the uh, the history of MG, but then they do use it um, a little bit as well. So they've got that kind of balance right. But I mean, their sales went up fifty percent. I mean, during the during the pandemic. I mean, that's, that's in, you know, insane figures. Um, and as Imti shared, uh, mostly in uh, Saudi Arabia. Because there's a huge population there that want a uh, car that's good value for money, that's going to run and last, etc. It's not uh, that, yeah, it's not necessarily the. Uh, it doesn't look like a Lamborghini or a Ferrari, obviously, but um, but their big SUV actually is quite a good looking uh, car. So um, yeah, no, it doesn't surprise me. Um, they are the second largest Chinese manufacturer and also the twelfth largest car manufacturer in the world. So n- not not. Can I just add to? Noel's point that they actually were the recipient of a good bit of fortune because when the cafe regulations or the fuel economy regulations came in and prices tripled overnight, they had one of the most economical cars ready to go. So their sales just shot through the roof. Good timing. Good timing indeed. Talking of timing, um, uh, we've got a question through Arush. Arush might have missed the window when it comes to Matthew Davidson and some free advice, but he's, 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 he's chanced his arm and Arush has got in touch as well and said, can you ask the guys that I've got a Mazda CX-9, it's a 2017 model, I want to get something larger, but not a Nissan Patrol or a Land Cruiser, any advice appreciated? No. Ooh, going from a Mazda, so he's used to his Japanese cars. So, I mean, you could go Prado. Um, that would be a good, uh, probably a good move. Um, and also easy to resell afterwards when you're done with it. Um, ooh, you could, there's quite a few nice Nissans out there, smaller Nissans, uh, if he wants to stay similar size. Um, but, uh, I mean, there's just so much choice out there, especially uh, in that kind of segment. I mean, there's you could list them all day long those uh that, that size um suv so um yeah i mean i'd I personally i'd go prado for resale value but um but also they're not they're not cheap either so so empty um uh, noel's taken the prado and the nissan any others to throw into the mix you know what because he's bought a mazda i think he likes driving he likes something a little bit left field i would actually go with the Kia Telluride, Hyundai Palisade, or the new Jeep Grand Cherokee that's just launched. I think he likes something a bit of luxury, a bit of style, and just a little bit standing out, I think, from the rest. So I think a Prado may not catch his fancy. Uh, more stories for you now and the all new and existing uh, Jaguar Land Rover models that have the firm's latest infotainment system can now get access to Amazon Alexa. It's just the latest in uh, a long slew of stories with regards to the integration of tech into cars. Um, MT, is this, I mean, this is something that is just part and parcel of car manufacturing at the moment, isn't it? Is absolutely. And I think at this point, everybody's just going to be looking at some version of either Android or Apple CarPlay screens. The actual interface of cars used to matter a lot, but nowadays most people just plug in their phone and they get their Google Maps and all that stuff so they can safely use it on the go. It's going to be expected. And it makes it harder for manufacturers to stand out, kind of like electric cars. Like if everybody's got the same interface and the same electric motors, what really stands out? Your brand, I guess. No. I suppose the question that needs to be asked is with regards to 
distraction and distracted driving is an issue at the moment with so much infotainment in your car. Is it a problem? A hundred percent. I think that, uh, you know, when I was a teenager growing up, which I won't tell you when that was, but it was a fair while ago, um, you drove a car. That's what you did. You got in and you drove and you enjoyed the experience. And, you know, if you had some friends with you that maybe they'd fiddle with the stereo, etc. But nowadays, driving is about fourth on the list of people's priorities whilst they're driving. And that is an issue. Look, adding things like Alexa where you can just uh, speak and get things done as opposed to having to sort of look down and press buttons is great. I'm not a big Alexa fan. Um, I'm a bit of a Luddite when it comes to such things. But, um, the uh, yeah, I mean, anything that gets people's hands back on the steering wheel I think is great. We've got loads of questions coming through, so let me give up some time for uh, those questions. Phil in Abu Dhabi's got in touch saying, lads, I need some car advice, and I can't think of anyone better to give it. I've got a 2.5-year, a two-and-a-half-year-old, uh, and newborn twins at the moment, a 2.5-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old uh, and newborn twins, looking for something suitable to hold all three uh, with uh, ISO fix if possible. The MPV, such as uh, Kia Carnival, uh, are like rocking horses at the moment. Not interested in German cars, uh, given the UAE issues. I have a 2013 Pajero at the moment, at the moment, and a 2016 Q50 as potentials for uh, this. Uh, any advice with regards to getting kids to sleep in the back of cars? It's a tough one, this, because um, uh, once you get to three kids, you run out of seats. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it kind of leaves you with the MPVs or the three row, the three row ones. Um, if you go three row SUV, getting the kid from the furthest seats at the back is always a bit of a challenge because uh, as much as the manufacturers have tried, you know, there's no seven door cars. But um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a hard one. Um, yeah. Personally, I'd go. I'd stick with an SUV and go uh, and go with the third row. Um, so, I mean, you could look at anything from a Pajero through to. Uh, I mean, even the new. Uh, there's a three row uh, Grand Cherokee now as well. Um, I mean, you know, there's so many cars now with three rows in them. So, I'd look at that possibly. Um, MPV, not really my area. Not something that I would uh, particularly look for in the market. But uh, yeah, there's plenty out there, and the uh, the sliding door does make a big difference as well. And that's a pretty cool feature. The kids love it. MT, we've had snakes in planes, kids in cars, kids in cars. Uh, I copy off with that one. I would actually add to Noel's point that there's nothing wrong with a good MPV. I like a good MPV. Uh, even though I have zero kids, I think I'm fairly well experienced to talk about it. Um, I would say Honda Odyssey. Kia Carnival, as the reader suggested, and potentially the Chrysler Pacifica, if you can still find a really nice-looking car, very good to drive, and very, very easy and very clever. You can actually store all the seats in the floor. So just the easiest to get access to your sprogs. MT, uh, yeah. another question that's come through uh, with regards to uh, advice. Uh, no name with this one. Um, uh, what's the demand of a one- to two-year-old Tesla Model S in the market at the moment? Really hot. These cars have basically taken over from the likes of the BMW 3 Series and Mercedes C-Class. All the young execs who are buying those are now just buying electric cars. So there's plenty of demand. As these cars age, nobody's quite sure how the batteries last out here. But so far, they seem to be holding up okay. So you've got something that people are going to really want.
Uh, and last one from, from me to you, Noel, I'll put this one to you. Uh, Volkswagen uh, will continue its association with Carpool Karaoke, which has been a real hit uh, here in the region, as it has across the world. A great uh, franchise, loads of famous Arab celebrities uh, joining in with uh, the Dubai TV uh, show here in the region. Is this a good association for VW? Oh yes, hundred percent. I mean, this is. Uh, this, I, I love the. I love the backstory of this. That it uh, came out of a scene from Gavin and Stacey, but uh, <laughs> the, the whole idea came from there. But you know, the fact that they've, that uh, James Corden has managed to roll this out um, globally. I mean, it's just uh, phenomenal, and uh, everybody wants to see their, you know, their famous you know stars in a less that you know not on a stage not not in a sort of I, I know it is staged obviously but certainly in a more sort of relaxed scenario and uh, it works it's i mean if you watch the uh, james corden one it's absolutely hilarious to watch um and the uh for vw to carry on with this one in the middle east absolutely i mean um, it gets uh, arabic singers out there in front of uh, front of the uh, people and uh, yeah i mean great great association as well so yeah mt have you featured in it yet no, never will. Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> I want to hear that. <laughs> Come on, this is your opportunity. The platform is yours, MT. Give us a tune. Oh, good Lord, no. There's not <laughs> enough money in the world. Uh, if you can't give us a song live on air, maybe you can give us a little shout out. Imtijan, if people want to get in touch with you, yeah, okay, we're all about free advice here on Motormania. But if people want to get in touch, how do they do that? They can find me on YouTube. Instagram and Facebook. And Noel, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, mostly through Instagram um, uh, and the various publications I write for. So, um, yeah, but uh, Instagram is the best place to get me. Good on you, fellas. Really appreciate your time. Big thanks to uh, Imtishan and, of course, Noel for joining us here on Motor Mania. We're back in the driver's seat. This is Motor Mania. <laughs> Dubai I 103.8. Big thanks to all the team at carswitch.com. Big thanks to you for all of your text messages. Big thanks to Sam Sunderland for joining us just a few moments ago. Now, as you heard earlier from Imtishan and Noel, Aston Martin's going to phase out combustion engine vehicles by 2026. That's four years! From now, it's the latest car maker to announce plans to go green. By 2026, all Bentley cars will be plug-in hybrids or all-electric by 2030. Uh, Goodbye, tailpipes altogether. General Motors says that it plans to stop selling gas and diesel vehicles by 2035. Honda will sell only EVs and hybrids in Europe after 2022. By 2030, Honda says 40% of its North American vehicle sales will be either battery, electric or hydrogen. And by 2040, all gas cars will be phased out. The list goes on and on and on. Basically, passenger cars produced approximately 3 billion metric tonnes of carbon dioxide emissions worldwide last, not last year, 2020. These are the figures for the emissions uh, produced by passenger cars have been steadily rising over the past two decades, increasing from 2.2 billion metric tonnes in 2000 to a peak of 3.2 million metric tonnes. And plug-in cars are seen as the solution to this problem. So we can keep driving, which is good, but without consequences to the environment. But how green are electric vehicles? Joining us now to tell us more uh, is Carl Fielder. Carl is the founder and the CEO of Neutral Fuels here in the UAE. And I believe 
looking at Microsoft Teams that Carl is joining us from a car as well. Morning, Carl. Hello there. How are you doing? Very well indeed, my friend. Can you confirm uh, one way or otherwise that you are in a car? I am sitting in a Tesla. In a Tesla. That was great. Of course, uh, in keeping with the conversation that we are having at the moment. Um, so uh, let's just address the sort of elephant in the room, if we may. We, we, we all know that uh, EVs are cleaner uh, than combustion engine uh, vehicles uh, uh, and otherwise. But what, where, where, the, where do the doubts come from, from some out there? Well, there's, there's actually three things that we need to take into consideration when we're thinking about comparing the cleanliness of a particular mode of transport. Uh, the first thing, which is the fairly obvious one, is what fuel does it use and where does that fuel come from? Um, the second thing is how much carbon, how much energy, which is in turn carbon, is actually involved in building these cars. Because if we have to replace all of the world's cars, that means we're going to have to build a load more cars. And the third thing is how efficient are those vehicles? And to try and get an overall answer to the question of are EVs more effective, more better for the planet than, than petrol-driven cars, you really need to take into account all three of those facts. And that's really quite complicated. So is it fair to say that EVs are not zero emission vehicles. And if that is a fair statement, um, will buyers want to know more about the backstory? I'm sure. I mean, the thing is that it's not a simple, straightforward uh, question. Driving an electric vehicle is definitely better for the planet in terms of the amount of airborne emissions that come out of the, well, that don't come out of the back of the tailpipe. And even, and this is where I want to come back to the uh, efficiency point, most petrol cars will convert 25% of the chemical energy of petrol into what we call motion at the wheels. In other words, they're about 75% inefficient due to friction, gearboxes, and all the rest of that stuff. Electric vehicles convert at least 85 and most of them 90% of the energy that's put into the car into motion at the wheels. And so that what that means, and we did the sums actually 15 years ago on this, even if you recharge your electric car from a coal power station, which is one of the dirtiest forms of energy, even if you charged it from a coal power station, it would still have less impact on the environment than driving a petrol vehicle. Batteries, is that going to be one of the stumbling blocks when it comes to EVs? Absolutely. There's a lot of advances going on. Um, And indeed, there's a real excitement about hydrogen fuel cells at the moment, um, which are effectively a replacement for batteries. There's also a lot of different types of um, chemicals that they can use to make batteries, which will improve the energy density, the speed of charge and discharge of the vehicles. And that therefore means the range of the vehicles. And indeed, I was at a presentation in Riyadh two days ago where they were talking about an incredible advance that's being made in hydrogen fuel cells that will allow long-range electric aircraft. Uh, Carl, you're in one. I've seen a lot more on the roads of the UAE, um, which will please Mr Elon Musk. All thing Tesla seems to be working. Um, but we don't seem to be see mother, uh, many other options at the moment. Do you see, are more motorists here in the UAE buying EVs at the moment? 
I think they'd like to. I mean, even with Tesla, you've got a three, four, five month waiting list, uh, which is why the second hand value of Teslas is almost the same as the brand new values, because, of course, nobody wants to wait four or five months. But the, the issue is that I don't think the manufacturers have come to this very quickly. And actually, demand is outstripping supply in, across all the different brands. Um, if you think my first drive in an electric car was in 2008 when I took the first Tesla and indeed its original donor vehicle, the Lotus Elise. I took both of them round Brands Hatch. And then the following year, I went to see the head of Volkswagen and asked them, the company I was working for at the time was Deutsche Post DHL. And I said, we've got 59,000 postal delivery vehicles. We'd really like to have them all as electric. Can you do it? And Volkswagen in 2009 said, well, that's not a big enough order. If you now look forward to today, according to the recent research that I saw yesterday, Volkswagen is currently the only of the major brand manufacturers that's actually likely to be able to, within the next three or four years, equate the number of vehicles to Tesla. The others aren't, can't catch up fast enough. So it's a massive change to the automotive industry, uh, not least to which because as we all know, uh, living here, when you get your car serviced, it costs a lot of money. Mm. Whereas electric vehicles hardly need any servicing and they also last a lot longer. So there's less opportunity, less reason to replace them. Uh, Fraser, thank you very much indeed for your text message. A fourth consideration for you guys and others is, of course, scrapping and the problems therein as well. Uh, there are no shortage of questions when it comes to all things EV. Uh, one guarantee is the fact that Neutral Fuels and Carl are doing their bit uh, at the moment for this. Um, um, Expo 2020, you've been very active down at Expo, Carl, uh, over the last four months. Two more months to go. Has it all been good? It's been fabulous. And just to come back to the point you just made, about 25% of the world's carbon emissions are transportation, but half of that is trucks and buses and things that in no short time are going to become electric. You know, we, we concentrate on electric vehicles for passenger vehicles, but half of the transportation carbon footprint is trucks. And we can refuel those trucks today with a net zero fuel without them making any modifications at all. It's really, really straightforward. And we've proven it here. We've just celebrated 20 million kilometers driving the McDonald's trucks in the UAE with zero carbon footprint. Uh, Carl, always good to catch up with you. Big thanks to you and all the team at Neutral Fuels. We will definitely be talking to Carl a lot more uh, in the future. Carl Fielder is the founder and the CEO of Neutral Fuels. That was Motor Mania. Back with you in two weeks' time. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, If you would like to catch any of today's interviews, they are available uh, on Dubai Eye 103.8 FM uh, website. Get yourself onto that to find out more. We'll see you in a fortnight.